This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 22nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Executive privilege is made up. It's neither protected nor prohibited by the Constitution. And the sweeping assertions of executive privilege made by the Trump White House are challenging even the generous executive privilege protections handed out by courts. Cato Vice President Gene Healy discusses how the Trump administration is using executive privilege and where such protections might be warranted. It's not new for presidents to fight Congress over access to for to information. Uh, you know, you have these sorts of disputes starting in the George Washington administration, uh, where presidents sometimes dig in their heels on particular requests for information. What is new is not just the claim with regard to the, the Mueller report, but the announcement of a blanket policy of massive resistance to all congressional demands for information. But that's pretty much what President Trump did at the end of April when he announced that we're fighting all the subpoenas. Uh, and since then, he's blocked or threatened to block uh, testimony from a, a host of uh, current and former officials, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, Special Counsel, Counsel Robert Mueller, uh, Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, Stephen Miller, uh, top presidential aide, and on and on. Uh, the argument seems to be that these are, in a all-caps term that President Trump coined a while back, presidential harassment, and uh, they're not going to put up with it. That is new, that kind of across-the-board claim of, well, if it's not new, it's a uh, it's at least Nixonian uh, to make this sweeping claim to be able to shield uh, testimony and documents uh, on an across-the-board basis from congressional requests for, for information. Uh, it's an extreme claim, and uh, it's not the way it's supposed to work, but it remains to be seen, you know, how it is going to work. Right. So... Uh you know, the, this broad executive privilege uh, claim has uh, sets up sort of a test on what the limits are. Um, what does the Constitution actually say with regard to this? Well, there's as there as as the situation is in many cases, there's what the Constitution says and there's what the Supreme Court says about the Constitution and uh, the general as I said, there have been, you know, throughout American history, many fights over congressional access to information. The term executive privilege is fairly new, though. It gets coined in the Eisenhower administration, and it's not read into the Constitution by the Supreme Court really until the main Watergate tapes case, uh, United States versus Nixon in 1974, uh, when the special prosecutor Jaworski was uh seeking access to certain White House tapes uh, related to the cover-up of the Watergate burglary. And Nixon claimed uh, a sweeping privilege to uh, to shield all presidential communications, and he lost. Uh, the, the court unanimously rejected that claim, saying that in this case, the president's interest in confidentiality had to give way to uh, the demand for evidence in a grand jury proceeding. But at the same time, it said that that interest in confidential communications 
uh, had a constitutional basis that uh, some privilege for presidential communications, the ability to keep them private, uh, was, quote, fundamental to the operation of government and inextricably rooted in the separation of powers. And since then, the uh, the case law on executive privilege is pretty thin. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, hasn't directly addressed it uh, in a case involving a congressional subpoena. So you have a handful of D.C. Circuit and District Court opinions. And what usually happens is these are uh, when there's a dispute over executive privilege uh, and involving a congressional demand for information, it's usually worked out in a tug of war between the branches. Uh, the courts are reluctant here to uh, to rule too quickly and to to break up a fight between the branches. So, uh, you know, it's usually worked out uh, through negotiations and. Uh, that can take quite a bit of time. Um, as as for its roots in the Constitution, there's an argument uh, that, and I think it's a pretty good argument, that the Supreme Court may have made a mistake in the Nixon case in constitutionalizing executive privilege. Uh, where do you find that? If there is a constitutional executive privilege, where where exactly is it in the Constitution? You have to sort of look to penumbras and emanations of uh, Article Two of the Constitution. It's not specifically written in there. Uh, the framers did know how to draft these sorts of protections for public officials. They gave a couple of them to Congress uh, in the speech or debate clause. You know, uh, congressmen and women can't be uh, prosecuted for what they say on the, uh, the floor of the House or, or Senate. But you don't find similar protections for the president, specifically in the Constitution. Uh, James Wilson, who is the framer who's you know, probably best considered the architect of the uh, presidency we got, uh, he told the, pa the Pennsylvania Ratifying Convention in 1787 that you know, you, the executive power is better to be trusted when it has no screen and in the the presidency that they the framers had designed, that uh, not a single privilege was annexed to his character. Uh, he's not above the laws. He's subject to them as a citizen, and in his public character, he's subject to them through impeachment. So the roots of this are a little dubious. There's a uh, uh, the University of Virginia uh, law professor uh, Cy Prakash, who is a originalist and uh, something of a conservative himself, he, he says that the, uh, the court's reasoning in Nixon for the constitutional basis for this privilege is fairly weak. Uh, it, the court basically said that this was an important privilege for the president to have. There were compelling policy reasons for it, and I think that's true. But as Prakash points out, that doesn't mean that uh, it's constitutionally rooted. Uh, the president needs a lot of things to do his job correctly. He needs funding officers and departments. Uh, he needs an army to be commander in chief, but he's not entitled as of right to any of that uh, in the constitution. You know, if uh, maybe we need a space force, uh, I, you know, uh, the president can argue that, that this is necessary to defending the 
country and for him to necessary for him to do his job as commander in chief, but that doesn't mean he gets to create a space force without Congress. And you could say something similar about executive privilege, the fact that this is necessary, that people need to be, give candid advice to the president doesn't mean that it is written into the Constitution. Uh, in fact, Prakash says it is necessary, but the Constitution neither grants nor forbids this kind of privilege. And if we need it, Congress can outline it, can provide its contours uh, through statute. Uh, it shouldn't be a judge-made doctrine. And uh, to the uh, Congress has not spelled out what executive privilege looks like. No. Uh, in fact, there is a the, the president's latest uh, Supreme Court appointee, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, wrote a interesting article about 20 years ago when he was coming off of uh, his service in the independent counsel's office under Ken Starr, where he suggested that Congress could, uh, in certain ways, define and restrict that privilege, that uh, it could, uh, when there are criminal, criminal trials uh, and grand jury subpoenas, it could say that uh, the executive privilege claims are limited to military, diplomatic, and security secrets and can't be used to uh, protect uh, the White House from embarrassment or uh, exposure of wrongdoing. So Congress hasn't, but it arguably ha hasn't yet, but it arguably does have power to, uh, to define this maybe a, a little more clearly than the courts have. It it seems uh, pretty clear from uh, the Constitution and from what you've said here today that uh, you know Congress has clear oversight functions over the executive branch and the extent to which the president may assert executive privilege sort of would be reining in that oversight function. Yeah, um, and you know, in the blanket uh, uh, refusal to cooperate with. Uh, subpoenas from the House, there's something like 20 different, uh, the Washington Post had a list of 20 different areas where the administration is resisting providing information. Within some of those, there may be legitimate claims of some kinds of privilege. Uh, but with this across the board policy of, you know, we, we're going to resist all the subpoenas is not the way uh, this is supposed to work. The problem is, though, that uh, presidents can run out the clock on uh, by making bogus executive privilege claims. The uh, uh, to the extent that they've addressed it, uh, the courts uh, don't want to get involved. They encourage negotiation. They don't want to uh, rule on the merits uh, until. The other branches have negotiated in good faith and reached a total impasse. Uh, so what tends to happen uh, is if you do get a decision from the courts, it can be years after the fact. Uh, there was a dispute in George W. Bush's second term about uh, firing U.S. attorneys and whether his former White House counsel, Harriet Myers, could testify. Uh, she ended up testifying, but it was in the Obama administration. Uh, the fast and furious executive privilege claim made in the uh, Obama administration uh, over the fast and furious uh, BATF gun walking scandal, uh, that uh, didn't, there was no 
district court decision in that. It started in 2012, and uh, there wasn't a, a court decision until four years later, and it's still, uh, the details are still being ironed out uh, even now. So it is, the even when the claims of privilege are weak, Congress doesn't have a ready enforcement mechanism that can resolve them in a timely fashion. And, uh, you know, with the 2020 election, what, 18 months away, uh, this, you know, it's quite plausible that in some of these areas, uh, the administration will be able to, in many of these areas, will be able to uh, push any resolution back uh, to after that election, which may be what they're trying to do. Is there any appetite in Congress to actually go ahead and define the contours of what executive privilege actually might be? Um, not that I can see. Not, uh, you know, one one thing that, that Congress does have in its arsenal that it may have to credibly threaten to do is uh, to use the I word, <laughs> impeachment. Uh, the third article of impeachment against uh, Nixon in 1974 was based on disobeying congressional subpoenas and making bogus executive privilege claims. Uh, you know, the House Judiciary Committee passed an article that said Nixon didn't have lawful excuse not to produce papers that were needed in an impeachment inquiry, and he substituted his judgment for the judgment that was left to the House of Representatives in the Constitution. So in other words, his his resistance to demands for evidence in an impeachment inquiry was itself grounds for impeachment. Uh, and it, it Congress's claim of Congress is supposed to have a legitimate legislative purpose for any information that it seeks. Its claim to have that kind of purpose is at its strongest when it's engaged in an impeachment inquiry. Uh, it's a uh, it's recognized to be uh, as compelling an interest a, as Congress can have in that area. Uh, it may not come to that. Uh, you know, as we've discussed on this podcast before, President Trump has this tendency to tweet out crank theories of executive power, like the idea that he can pardon himself or deny birthright citizenship uh, by executive order, and then climb down. Uh, nothing much happens. Uh, and that could be what we're seeing here. Maybe it's just like a another extreme negotiating tactic, like threatening, threatening to nuke North Korea before buddying up to little Kim. Uh, this could be something that, uh, you know, eventually there's a climb down from. Um, on the other hand, if uh, this claim to be able to lawfully resist any and all subpoenas because they're presidential harassment, if he, he ends up being serious about this claim, things could get pretty interesting. Gene Healy is author of The Cult of the Presidency. He's also a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.